0: Welcome to the Celebrate Recovery Podcast brought to you by Edgewater Church in Port Charlotte, Florida. This is where we interview CR leaders as well as share testimonies from our home church. For more information, go to edgewaterchurch.com slash Celebrate Recovery. We hope you enjoy this episode. I got tired of this and subtly yanked me out of that situation, which then turned her into the enemy. I do this testimony as somewhat of a lesson as well. This is based pretty much on generational sins of our fathers that were passed down to me and implemented in me back at a very, very early age. Around four years old in 1969, I watched my mom get in a heated verbal conversation with the neighbor next door. And it upset me so bad I decided the next day I was gonna pay the lady back and got on the doghouse behind our house and broke her window. Well, following that was a Friday, I believe it was a Thursday, and Friday I always used to go to a friend of mine's house down the street and spend the night. About eight o'clock in the morning, my parents were calling over there and telling me to get home now, which it was serious. So I got on my bike and my little tricycle or whatever I was riding, and uh, I pull up to meet three squad fires in my front yard. The neighbor called the police on me for breaking her window. Um, I watched my dad and these police officers argue to the point where my dad finally grabbed this cop by the neck and shoved his face down to a tree that I later learned the neighbor had poured kerosene on, and that's why her and my mother were in this argument. But they didn't even take him to jail. This stuck in my mind's eye for a long time because, of course, I wound up starting to do drugs later on in life. And uh, around 1972, I caught my sister and her boyfriend in her bedroom smoking, smoking weed and uh, threatened to tell on them because I'd never been around anything like that. But back then in school, you know, they used to warn us about drugs and stuff like that and gave us an idea of what they were about and things that were done and taken and stuff like that. Her boyfriend held me down and they blew it in my face and made me take a hit off the joint and told me now I couldn't tell because I did it too. Problem was that I liked it. So we eventually moved from that area into an area called the Redland down in Homestead, Florida. And uh, it was very rural. And uh, I started doing very well there, even though I was, I was just a generally bad kid. You know, I was always in trouble some kind or another mischievous Um, nothing that was really bad per se for a kid my age but I was a spoiled brat and my mother wasn't having any of it my father just fed it so when we moved there life went really good for a while I got into sports playing football wrestling track shortly after fighting drugs and drinking I started smoking marijuana pretty much regularly in the sixth grade. Took my first quaalude in the seventh grade. And my first getting really drunk with friends, we went to the skating rink one night and uh, this guy's dad picked me up, all of us, and we were all drunk. We were just kids, we were teenagers, and uh, they took me to my house and leaned me against the door and knocked on the door, and my dad opened the door, I fell on my face, and Kind of shows you how good a friend you got when you're doing drugs with them. (laughs) Um, My parents didn't really know what to do after then, so church ensued. My mom was a Catholic, not a practicing one, and my dad, I don't know if he believed in God back then or not. I know before he died that he accepted Christ as his Savior. but um, So my dad took me to this church of the Nazarene, which wasn't what I would have had the idea of being a Christian church, the guy answered the door, he had a big turban on, and we all went in there and meditated for about an hour. It was just totally silent. And that was kind of freaky to me at that age. You know, I was only about 13 or 14 years old then. Um, then my mom actually had a lady come over from Haiti that was involved in voodoo and all that stuff and trying to use dolls and stuff to get it out of me or whatever it was. And uh, So I was very confused spiritually at a very young age. And um, my mom decided to try a new church down in Homestead called the Rock Church. Any y'all ever been to one of them, Rock Church? It's kind of like your coastal type church. And uh, one night we were there, and the pastor got up. And uh, I don't know if it's because of the way the world is today, but I'm going to tell you something. Back then, God's spirit really moved and this pastor got up there and he started prophesying about my life and telling the whole congregation every last detail of everything that I'd been doing for years to the point to where I was glaring at my mother, you know, thinking she went and talked to him behind my back, you know, and asked him to pray for me or whatever. I, I know mom and dads go to the pastors that they go to church, pray for my son. He's on drugs, you know, da, 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 lot And uh, a lot of, lot of strength... What would be bizarre things to me happened in that service that night. A little bit of speaking in tongues, a little bit of running up and down the aisles. And uh, I did an altar call. And my sister went up there, and I was just drawn to go up there. And I, it was to the point to where I couldn't even control it. I had to get up there and go up there. And there's about 50 of us and we all had our hands on each other's shoulders all the way up to the pastor. And I truly believe that that was the day that I accepted Christ. However, shortly after that, my life went down the toilet. Um, I started doing drugs beyond belief at a very young age. At 14, I ran away from home and uh, I was gone for eight months. Started getting heavily into drinking and quaaludes and stuff like that back then because we we're talking the 70s, you know. And um, I was on my way to a Ted Nugent concert one time, one night, that I barely remember. And there was a store out in the middle of nowhere, and I tried to break into the store, and I fell into the window when I did it, stumbled and fell into it, and I sliced my wrist open pretty good. And um, little did I know that that incident, was what would change my life and put it on a course that was not necessarily good, but leading to God. Cause I tell this story to people all the time. Um, I started hitchhiking and I'm, I'm in the middle of nowhere bleeding to death. I had a shirt around my arm, my own shirt around my arm. And it's kind of funny because a couple guys coming from the concert that I was going to pick me up. (laughs) So it was already over and done with. Um, he took me back to where I was living in the neighborhood there, and there's a U-Totem there on the corner um, that are now Little Generals or Circle K's. But I walked in the store and I went to go get some paper towels out of the bathroom to put on my arm, and this guy was in there. And I mean, I I was I was 14 years old, and I remember exactly what he looked like right now today. And he asked me, you know, let me see your arm, and I gave him some choice words because I didn't want him messing with me and I didn't want to be bothered by anybody. And he forcefully said, let me see your arm. And he grabbed my arm and he goes, oh my God. And uh, he picked me up put me in his car, took me to the hospital where they saved my life, called my parents and I was locked up in a program for nine months at Jackson Memorial Hospital in Miami. That was my roots to start learning how to live life the right way. So when I got out of there, my parents had had enough of Miami because it was just a crime riddled area at that time. It was a murder capital of the world. And that's when all the drug wars were going on and all that stuff. And uh, so we moved to Sarasota, Venice, and it didn't take me long to get off and running again with the wrong crowd. Started doing drugs again and in 1980, got arrested um, and got put on probation. And after I got put on probation, they kicked me out of school and made me get a full-time job. 1985, I got my first felony stealing kegs of beer out of a restaurant, behind a restaurant, and uh, I was sentenced to a start center in Tampa. I was actually sentenced to probation, and then I violated the probation and then got sent up there. Um, I wound up escaping from there and went to juvenile detention center in Tampa. And then I went to the Okeechobee School for Boys, where uh, I learned how to be a better criminal. Sure is funny, though, every time I went to to jail, I was so scared I'd run to God. Years after I would met him in that church down at Homestead, Today, I don't believe, because in jail, you know, when you always turn to God, all the other guys in there, they're always like, oh, it's jailhouse religion. You'll be right back when you get out and everything else. In my eyes today, there is no such thing as jailhouse religion. So I wound up getting out of the county jail, and uh, I was sentenced to probation, start center, wound up leaving there again, went on the run. I was introduced to crack shortly afterwards which had such an overpowering hold over my life it was insane and of course that's what we refer to as insane behavior living in our addictions doing things that are just unseemingly to other people the same thing over and over expecting a different result practicing things that are contrary to god's will uh caught two armed robbery charges and uh, got seven years in prison in Florida state department of corrections. And, uh, I got out and three weeks after I was released. My brother got killed by a drunk driver in 1988. Right after that happened, I got a DUI in 1989, 1991 and 1993. And my license was revoked for life. Um, took me a long time to figure out why I turned to drinking so heavily. And it was because I was angry with him. I hadn't seen him in three and a half years. He was drunk, got in the car with somebody that was drunk and wound up getting killed. Um, so that being said, I moved to North Carolina after I had gotten in some trouble with some friends of mine. And uh, I was on the run from Florida And I got a job working at a nationwide roofing company and uh, thought I was gonna see the country. Now, it's kind of hard to see the country when you're looking around on the floor, peering out a hotel window, wondering who's coming through to the door. Um, I went back to North Carolina from Utah, got myself a truck, started getting on my feet a little bit, and got a fourth DUI. I was arrested in Jackson County, North Carolina, Silva. I don't know if you guys know any places about that. It was a very, very, very small country town and they didn't have room in the jail there to whole house me. So they sent me to the neighboring city, which is Bryson city right outside of Cherokee. It's where they send all the Indians that over there to jail and everything. So they don't have a jail on a reservation. And uh, the first jail I was in, they had no church services. They had no clergy. You wanted a Bible, you had to have it mailed in it. It had to come directly from a family member and the rapper. This other jail was the exact opposite. They allowed people to come in from the church, come up to the cell and stand outside the bars. And it was a very, very little small Mayberry RFD type of situation. And, you know, I'm sitting in there after being in all these notorious, dangerous prisons in Florida and other parts of the state or country thinking I'm going to run something, and uh, I pretty much was at that point. But there was this guy there, and he was an inmate, and he had walked away from God. He was in jail. They found a bag of cocaine residue in the back of his vehicle. Didn't even have any drugs in it. And, you know, he was always talking to me about Jesus, and at this point I turned my back on him. I didn't want anything to do with him. I was in that state where, what have you ever done for me? All I've done is sit in prison and jail all my life, which was my fault, not his. So one day I had a pack of Bugler tobacco, and I didn't have any papers, and I grabbed this little Gideon pocket Bible. I didn't rip the scripture out, but I did rip a note page out of it. And I was rolling a cigarette, and uh, he goes, man, how can you do that? And I said, do what? And he goes, roll a cigarette out of that Bible paper like that. And I said, he doesn't care. And I licked it and you know lit it up and asked him if he wanted some. And he said, no, man, I'm good. Um, that, not, that night, probably, I don't know, a couple hours or so later, his roommate got released. And he had a bottom bunk, and he asked me if I wanted to move in his room with him. I said, Sure. So I moved all my stuff down there, and I had my nice little bottom bunk and everything. And at 3 o'clock that morning, I woke up in the middle of the night, no noise, nothing. And he was sitting on the edge of his bed rocking, and I asked him, you know, are you okay? And he said, no, I'm sick, man. Please call the guards. Tell them to come get me. So he went to the hospital. Come to find out later he had a cyst on his spine. But the next day, two old guys from the church came to see him. Now, I'm sitting in a cell reading a book on how to escape from prison and jail. (laughs) Believe it or not, it's the most bizarre thing in the world. Um, And the guy started questioning me about where he was and, you know, all these other questions he had. And I was getting really annoyed. You know, I was like, man, just just leave me alone, man. You know, I'm trying to read. And I refer to this as how Jesus went to the disciples when he first met them and said, drop your nets, follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. That old guy, he said, put that book down and get out here. I want to talk to you for a minute. And the next thing I know, just like that altar call that day, I couldn't resist it. I had to get up. Went out to the table and uh, sat down, and they were on the other side of the bars, and he says, so what's your story? And the next thing I know, I'm telling these two old guys, and I mean, man, they were old. One was a World War II pilot, so they were a lot older than I was back then. And uh I'm getting there. <laughs> Next thing I know the, he asked me if he mind if he prayed for me for a minute, and I said, "No, go ahead, it ain't going to do any good." And he started praying, and at that very instant, Jesus found me, and he broke me down like a marine breaks down a rifle right there at that table in front of everybody and uh At that moment, I knew that Jesus was alive, that He loved me, and He lived inside me. I got this tremendous hunger for His Word and just to to saturate myself with Him, and uh, I was sentenced to a year in prison. Believe it or not, I wound up going to the first faith-based prison in the United States of America. It was called the Genesis Program, and it was like seminary. Church three nights a week. Bible study three nights a week. Prayer every day. Prayer before bed with the whole group of guys. and um, Awaiting charges down here, I made a deal with God, and I told him, you know, I won't do drugs anymore. I won't have sex until I'm married. I won't do this. I won't do that. And uh, I was so confident and felt so close to God almost as though I could touch him. And uh, to the point where I didn't even think they'd extradite me because I knew he was going to keep his word. Well, they did. I broke the covenant before I even got back here. He was faithful. I walked out of the Sarasota County Jail two months later with time served because my co-defendant turned his story around. It was the first time in my life that I ever did more than 10 minutes on the street getting out of jail. It lasted about six months. Certain events started taking place in my life with my mom and other people and slowly started drifting back into the drug world again. Um, In the book of Peter, it says, you know, we'd better off not knowing God than turning away from his holy commandment as a dog returns to his vomit or a pig wallowing in his mire, for the latter end is worse than in the beginning and how true that is. (laughs) Um, For the next 18 months, I had met my ex-wife, was shooting dope pretty much every day of my life. Uh, however short-lived it was, it's hard to believe that I'm even here able to talk to you guys today. February 2001, I was arrested for grand theft, possession of stolen property, and God saved my life. I was in jail for about three weeks, and I knew at that point that I wasn't in jail for any crime I had committed. I was in jail for him to straighten me out. I got down on my knees after I got my head together and his word and everything, and I said, Lord, don't let me out of here until I'm ready to never come back again. That was the change in my life. When I got to prison, I, when I was arrested, I'm sorry, I, w- I had a daughter that was two months old. Um, I had an attorney that didn't believe that inmates should have children. She was writing me letters. Trying to get me to give up my parental rights to my daughter my wife's ex-wife was out here doing drugs and leaving her in crack houses and all kinds of stuff and uh one day i just had enough and i went and saw the chaplain who was one of the most spirit-filled filled men i ever met in my life he prayed for me he's still a friend of mine today i went to my bunk and i said lord i can't do anything about this i have no control over this I'm going to work on me. They're in your hands. At that point, things started changing. Gears started turning. I got called back to Sarasota. And I was recommended when I went to prison to drug treatment. Um, Recommendation means nothing to the Department of Corrections. I was number 505 on the list. When I went back to Sarasota for my child custody hearing, I asked the judge to me to meet a drug treatment, and I went right in there. A week later, after I got back to pr- got back to prison. Um, While well, I was in the Department of Corrections, I asked God for several things. I'm very specific with things that I ask Him and pray about, um, and the things I asked Him are very, very prevalent in my life today. One is my wife Rachel. She's had similar experiences in life. I met her through a friend of mine. She was in a work release program. I looked her up online after she called my house one night. God told me that's gonna be your wife. Keep your mouth shut and don't screw it up. Because I love to talk. She thought I was a mute for about three weeks. Um, I asked him to help me become successful in business. I've been a roofer all my life. And uh, now her and I own probably the largest roofing company that our town has ever had in it, Venice. Um, I have three wonderful kids. Thank God they're older. Two of them are moved out now. <laughs> I have a 15 year old that's still at home. And I've been clean since February 24, 2001. 19 years and nine months. <clears throat> Glory to God. I went through a program, unfortunately Celebrate Recovery wasn't in existence then. It was a program called Walking the 12 Steps with Jesus Christ. And I went through a step study on my own with a correspondence person, believe it or not. And one of the most crucial steps that I went through was step five. And I wrote my entire life history down pretty much, all the good, all the bad. Um, I didn't really feel as though I could trust anybody at that point, even though I have confessed these things to other people at this point in my life. Um, I prayed diligently for a week over this. And, you know, they recommended if you didn't have anybody you could trust to share it with to pray about it and burn it. Well, unfortunately, you couldn't burn things in the Department of Corrections, so I flushed it down the jet toilet. (laughs) And at that moment, I knew it was over. I just knew. Everyone here knows, I'm sure, that they know if you've had any time under your belt, you know that you know that you know that it's over. God turned my life completely around I got custody of my daughter within two months of being out of prison, which is a record, I think, in Sarasota County. Um, And life's good today. I'm serving God. We're doing prison ministries now. We've been doing them for many, many years. My wife and I, we attend Bayside Church. We're the leaders at CR there. And they just made us both coaches, leaders at the church, which is totally awesome. And without him, we can't do it. It's impossible. I've seen so many people try in their own strength that they just continue to stumble and fall and wind up getting back up but stumble and fall again. And I haven't seen many drug addicts or alcoholics that's made it without Christ. So stay the course. Be strong in his love and his grace and his mercy, and he'll bring you through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope it uplifted your spirit in some way. Now stay tuned for more episodes to come, and if you need more information, go to edgewaterchurch.com slash celebrate recovery. God bless.